the shmuz is not a, uh, a classical shmuz in the sense that we will be giving a Pesach shmuz on Tuesday, and that's going to be the standard type of shmuz. Uh, tomorrow we're going to give a Shabbos Hagadol drasha, which is also a, a shtikle shmuz. So normally on an Erev Shabbos, um, I sort of don't give a shmuz because it's sort of overkill. Um, but because uh, last week was an off Shabbos, um, I felt that uh, that there should be a shmuz. So what we're going to do is, and maybe it's going to be a start of a new minig, that we're going to give over Divrei Taira for the Haggadah Shal Pesach today. And it's going to be hopefully useful to everybody um, to have something to say at the Seder. I'm sure everybody already has much to say at the Seder, but just in case uh, you didn't have time to prepare anything, uh, these are always helpful ideas that uh, will emit Hashem elicit conversation and thought at your starim. I'd like to uh, dedicate this shir, L'Zeche Nishmas, uh, Rabbi Pelkowitz, Zechitzadik Levracha, Sender's grandfather, who was Nifter last week. Um, as I've told Sender many times, as growing up as a child in, um, in Long Beach, and Farakaway being just over the bridge, I was uh, brought every year by my father, Zechayin Levracha, to Rabbi Pelkowitz's famous pre-Pesach Hagadashir, and it was really a, uh, it was an amazing maimud. It was an amazing uh, scene and venue. It was packed, and everybody brought their paper and pencils and pens and uh, tape recorders to record and to write down all of the amazing ideas, veritlach, gematrius, um, thoughts that Rabbi Pelkowitz shared with everybody in his inimitable fashion with his uh, oratory brilliance and his, um, his life experience. And it was really something to behold. And uh, I'd like to dedicate, as I said, the Shilzeich and Nishmasai. And let us begin. So today we're going to just share four and the number four, of course, is not, is not by coincidence. Four is a dominant theme throughout the entire Pesach, Seder. Um, there are four Bonim, there are four Kaisais, uh, there are four Kashis of the Manishtana. And the number four is obviously something that's very special on Seder night. And so we're going to say four fantastic Veretlach on the Haggadah, and that will be a little Tzedel Adarech for you to take and think about and pass along at your starm. In the Haggadah it says, V'chal ha-marbel l'saper b'yitziyas mitzrayim meshubach. Whoever is marbel, whoever adds on, multiplies, in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, whoever tells more and more of the narrative of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Hareza Meshubach, he is praiseworthy. The Lushan Lesaper means to tell, a Lushan of Sipur, of course. It also is a Lushan of Evan Hasapir. It means to glow, to be radiant, to be brilliant, to shine. It's a night of shining. It's a night of not just telling over a story, but telling over a story with a certain passion. And the more that you're able to elicit that glow in your face, the more the children will realize that this is something special. It's very hard in this day and age to get a child's attention because his attention span is so short and his expectations of stimulation are so high because of all the technology around us, because of all of the, the video clips, 
and all of the video games and all of the other things that are so glowing and so glittery and so glitzy that it's very hard to get a hold of a child's imagination. And this is something that you'll speak to any Rebbe about, and he will say that it's Niskatnu Adairis, that there are so... It's so difficult, it's such a challenge to really maintain children's attention spans. And so you have to make it exciting. You have to be an Evan Hasapir. You have to not just tell it over, but tell it over with a geschmack, tell it over in an exciting manner. I once took a, an old Yid. I drove him to a chasna. And he was a very big Talmud of Rav Hutner. He was, in fact, the first member of Rav Hutner's Kailo in Chaim Berlin. And he was a, uh, also a veteran mechanich. He is one of the most famous mechanchim, I would say, of our time in America. And he told me a story that once he was driving Rav Hutner somewhere, and he asked Rav Hutner the following question, whether or not it's mutter today to, when you're giving over to children, Tyra, to use, like, state-of-the-art graphics. Now, you might think today that's a Dabar Pashat. Of course it is. Why, what would be the problem? But back then, if you look at um, the old contrasim of how Rebbe used to teach anything, whether it was Hilfa Shabbos, whether it was Mesechus uh, Sukkah, today we have such beautiful svarim that are computer... Uh, enhanced, digitalized, like architectural drawings of a sukkah with all of the, you know, the color and the, and the scale and the, and the radiance of, uh, of modern-day graphics. But in the olden days, when I grew up, there wasn't any such svarim. There was, if you were lucky, you had, there was uh, the mishnayas that were, like, the popular mishnayas to see things it was like stick figures. It was like somebody drew, like in three minutes, a pencil with a pencil, a picture of a sukkah with some stock on it, or a picture of a of erube chatzeres, erutchumen, and different, like very makeshift, very sloppy types of. Uh, and that was the mesira. The mesira is just give it over in a very plain way and let the children's uh, brain process it on their own. And so this was a very relevant question at the time. Is it okay? as the graphics of the Gaiusha world were getting more and more advanced, was it okay, was it a break in the Messira to actually make these beautiful graphics? And trust me, back then it wasn't beautiful and it wasn't graphic, but it was, a, it was a step up. It wasn't anywhere what we have today uh, in terms of the Svarim that you can get in the, in the Svarim stores that we use for Mesechus Erevin and Mesechus Sukkah and Mesechus Shabbos and, and all of these amazing svarim, all of these amazing resources that we take for granted today. It wasn't so pasha back then. And he asked Rav Hunter, is it okay if I bring into class a little bit more of, a, of an artistic rendition of, of sukkah, etc.? And Rav Hunter looked at him almost like befuddled, and he said to him, tell me something, does anyone go to war in this day and age with a bow and arrow. In the age of machine guns and AK-47s and uh, uh, you know, all types of advanced systems of war, does anyone run into a battlefield with a bow and arrow? If anyone does, then they're a fool. And Rav Hutner was trying to convey that in this day and age, you always have to fight fire with fire. If you're going to make it interesting for Talmidim, and you have to understand what the Talmidim's attention span is, and what they're used to, and what's, what's being served up on the other side to the Talmidim, you have to make it your business to try to at least equal, if not up, what the Sitra Akra has for the children. And if the Sitra Akra is pretending to engage the children in interesting things using graphics and using things that really glitter, then we have to do the same. 
the more that you are able to make it glow, to make it gishmak, in whatever format you have to, whether it's using props, as I know many people do, by the Esther Makis, they make it interesting, they make it exciting, they throw around ping pong balls, and they, they liven it up. You have to do those things in this day and age, because if you're not doing that, then you're going to lose their attention span. And if you lose their attention span, then that's not what you're supposed to do on Seder night. Seder night, you're supposed to give the kids at Goyes, Kloyes, Kloyesim, the candies, do whatever it takes to keep them awake. A lot of the, the things that we do on Seder night are purely just to get their attention. And especially nowadays, the more that we're able to be misapper, the more we're able to brighten up the eyes of children and make it fun and make it exciting, make it interactive. Hareza Meshubach, that is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants on this night of telling. The Minig of the Chassam Seifer, following the Mardachai, there's a Mardachai in Brachis that says that whenever it says a Lashon of Sipur, it's a Lashon of Bekol Ram. You have to tell it out loud. And the Chassam Seifer, it's brought in his Minhagim that he used to shout the Haggadah. He used to say it out loud to such a degree that people that would be walking in the streets of Preshburg, where the Chassam Seifer was the Rav, would hear the Chassam Seifer's voice booming. The Lashon of the Sefer is, it was a booming voice that was able to, like, explode. Normally, the Chassam Seifer was not a loud person. You'd think, well, maybe he always spoke loud. He didn't. Especially in his olden age, he would be very quiet. He would say things in a very silent, low mode. And all of a sudden, Seder night, he was like yelling the Haggadah. That was the meaning of the Chassam Seifer. And the reason why he did this was in order to be Mekayim, the Mardachai, that the mitzvah of Sipur is a mitzvah of Bekol Ram. Sipur is, it has to be out loud. It has to be with a passion. I wanted to just tell a story, just to add a story that I think illustrates perhaps the reason, the logic behind the Chassam Seifer doing what he did, yelling the Haggadah out loud so that people on the streets could hear it. There's a, a well-known story about the great Rav Shleim Haiman. Shleim Haiman was actually one of the great Rabbeim of Rabbi Palkowitz in Tarvadas, and he was once giving a shear in yeshiva. Now I don't know how many bachim normally attended Rav Shleim Haiman's shiurim, but they were masterful shiurim. We have chidusha of Shleim in the base medrash. It's it's. I remember my rosh yeshiva used to always say over. Tyra from Rav Shleim he has a, a, a unique beauty in his Tyra. And his shear, let's say, had 50, 60, 70 bachim. I don't know, it might be more, it might be less, but it was a large shear in Tyra Vadas. And one day it was snowing out. There was a huge snowstorm like we had this week. And instead of 60 boys coming, there were three boys that came into the shear. One of them, I know, was Rebellious Svei. I don't know who the other two Talmidim were. Rebellious Svei was the Rashiva of Philadelphia, Zechitzadik Levracha. And these three Bachrim were sitting around the desk of Rav Shlema Haiman. And you know the feeling on snow days when nobody came except for you. And you, you want to just, like, I guess, you know, just have like a, a little bit more of, a, of an informal experience in Shir. You feel like you know, anyway, like it was extra credit that I came, so maybe tell us some ISIS or, you know, let's have a... And Rav Shleim Haiman comes into the shir, and he was not oblivious to the attendance. 
he understood that instead of dozens and dozens of Talmudim, he only had three. So you think he'd sit back and schmooze and, you know, give a half a shear or no shear. If Shlomo Hyman started saying his shear with the same booming voice, with the same hislavus, with the same passion, with the same taira and lumdus and beauty as a regular day, as if the room was packed. And at one point in the shear, respectfully, one of these three Talmudim said, Rebbe, you know, maybe conserve some of your energy. Like, there's only three of us. You don't have to scream. You don't have to yell. We're all here. We're all hearing. There's no reason that your voice does not have to carry to the ends of the room. We're fine. You just, just take it easy. And if Shlomo Hyman looks at that Talmud and he says to him, he says, do you think that I'm just talking to you three? He says, I'm talking to your Talmidim and to your Talmidim's Talmidim. He says, I'm talking to you and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. The shear that I'm giving today is not to three people. I don't see three people in front of me. When I give a shear to you, I'm seeing hundreds and thousands of Talmidim in front of me. And I'm going to give it with my full intensity and my full passion and with my kol chaytsev laves eish. Because I'm speaking to generations. And indeed, these three Talmidim, I don't know who the other two were, but Rebel Yisrael alone had thousands of Talmidim. And I think this is the minig of the Chassam Seifer as brought about by the words of the Mardachai, that the word Sipur is really, it's Bekol Ram. Because when we're telling over the Haggadah to our children, we're not just telling it to our children, we're telling it to our children's children, and to our children's children's children, and to our children's Talmidim, and to our children's Talmidim's Talmidim. It's hard to think about things that way because, you know, it's, it's a challenge even to give over Tyra to Talmidim. You're not thinking about your grand Talmidim or your grandchildren. But that's the way Gedalim thought of things. They didn't think just in simple terms of, okay, I have a shear of three people. I have a shear here of thousands of people. And it's true. When you're going to give over a Haggadah to your family and a Mirzah Hashem someday to your children, it's not going to be just to the people in the room. The Seder is not limited in time and space. The Seder spans the Dairis. And your children will someday tell over your Taira to their children. And those children may be to their children's children. And that's the way the Seder was designed. That it's not a one-generational experience, it's a multi-generational experience. I once saw, I don't remember which, I was trying to find it, but I, I couldn't. I don't know where I saw it, but... I don't know if it was Ravaya Kaplan, maybe, his Tyra, but it sounds like something that he would write, and I couldn't find it, maybe you can find it for me, that if you make a cheshpen, you know, we think of Yitzhak Mitzrayim as being thousands of years behind us, and so this is just like a, a ritual already at, at this stage. It's so distant. We're just telling it over. Of course, we're supposed to reenact it as if we were there, but it's so distant. He makes a cheshpen that if every Pesach Seder has a grandchild, a parent, and a grandfather, three generations at every Pesach Seder, so then, and making a cheshpen of every dar being about 25 years, so it's not that many Pesach starim away from Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It says, I think it's maybe 25, 30 Pesach starim from Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's not a lot. Because a grandfather spanning to a grandchild is like 75 years. So you do the math, and it's not so many, it's not that long ago in terms of stara. Maybe years, it's a long way, but the, the, the jumps, the leaps from, from grandchild to grandfather all the way up to Yitzhak Mitzrayim, it's about 25, 30 Pesach stara. Not a lot. We're very close going back to Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and Yitzhak Mitzrayim is very close to us 
and we're giving forth and we're pushing with all of our passion so that it makes, it resonates with our children and our grandchildren. Sipur is bringing out the beauty and the luster of the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim so that our children are not only awake, but they're lit up themselves and they're inspired to in turn give it over to their children with equal intensity as you gave it over to them. And that's perhaps why the Chassam Seifer, when he gave over his Pesach Seder, it was with a kol chaytzev laves esh, it was a it was a booming voice because he was speaking not just to the people in that room, he was speaking to his grandchildren, to his great-grandchildren, all the way here to Queens in 2018 and beyond. The Torah of the Chassam Seifer, the Minhagim of the Chassam Seifer are still very much alive by people that cherish it till today. We'll go a little forward in the, in the Haggadah by the answer that we give to the Chacham, the end of the answer is, that we don't eat anything after the Afikaiman. After the Afikaiman, after the, the Afikaiman means dessert, but after the Afikaiman is eaten, we know that we're not allowed to eat anything else beyond that. If you look in the Parsha and Sefer Bereshis of Toldos, so we know the story with Yaakov and Esav, how Yaakov uh, took the brachas away from Esav. And the Pasuk says, When Esav comes in and says, you know, I'm Esav and I'd like my brachas, he says, Who was it? that came before you, that hunted, and he brought that hunted animal, and I ate from everything, before you came, and I gave him the bracha, and of course, when Esau heard this, he got very upset, and rightfully so, and we know the end of the story, but what's going on over here in the parsha? So, the Maril Diskin, Rabbi Shulev Diskin, says that Rashi, of course, tells us that this whole event took place on Seder night. As many events, by the way, did in Jewish history. At the end of the Agadah, Ba'yibach it's shocking how many things took place on Seder night. Seder night was like the one night of the year that a thread runs through all the Seder nights of Jewish history. Everything. Every major and minor event. We know Purim took place on Seder night. The Mishnah of Esther and the, the hanging of Haman was on, on the second day of Seder. But everything took place on Seder night. You go through Nebuchadnezzar's, Balshatzar, everything was Seder night. Avram, Afa, Ugais, Aig Malachabashim came Seder night. And that's why his name was Eid, because of the Uvais Matzah, but he saw Abraham Avinu baking. Kimat, all the stories in Tanakh, somehow, way fit into Seder night. This took place on Seder night. Yaakov took the brachas away from Esau on Seder night, which makes sense in explaining what he brought. He brought the, the Seder, he brought two animals. Yaakov Avinu, Yitzchak asked for to bring him two animals, and why did he need two animals? So one was for the carbon Pesach, and one was for the carbon Chagiga. He brought him wine, and he drank the wine. What's the yayin? Yayin is the Dalakaisis. And he ate from everything. Says the Maril Diskin, what does that mean, ate? Mikal, meaning that he couldn't eat anymore. Because after he ate the carbon chagiga by the meal, and the afikaiman, which is the carbon pesach, you're not allowed to eat anymore after the carbon pesach. So that's what he says, Rachel Mikal, I'm stuck. 
Yitzchak is telling Esav, I wish I could have some of your meat also. I appreciate you going out and hunting and preparing it so beautifully. But Ba'achal Mikhail, I can't eat anymore because Ein Maptirin Achara Pesach Afikaiman. And Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld adds that the Targum of Ba'achicha B'Mirma that your brother came with Mirma. Now, the simple definition of Mirma is with trickery. But the Targum says, Be'chachma. He came with wisdom. Why did he come with wisdom? Because it was brilliant. In a sense that by giving him these two Ma'cholim, the carbon Chagiga and then the carbon Pesach, he basically limited the ability of Yitzchak to bench Esav through giving the meal that he was going to bring because he's stuck. I wanted to add one Nakuda to this Vart, that if you look in the truck of its Perak Chav Zayin, Pasuk Chav Hey, Vayagishle, this is when Yaakovino was bringing to Yitzchak the food, Vayayichal, and he ate, Vayave, Lo Yayin, Vayesh, the Loi, is a merchak fula. It's a very rare truck. Why is there a merchak fula? Why is it a double mercha by the word lay? And I was thinking that because we're saying that what he brought was the Dalit Kaisais to give Yaakov, to give Yitzchak Avinu the Dalit Kaisais to drink, there's an Indian in the Gemara and Arabic Tzachim speaks about it, why you have to drink, how can you drink Dalit Kaisais? We know that when it comes to um, mazikim, shadim, demons, they're very attracted to any even numbers. And we try to stay away from even numbers because they like even numbers. So normally if you were to drink multiple glasses of wine, let's say, on a, on a regular given night, you, would, you should try to do one or three or five but yet on Saturday night we do four, and the Gemara asks, "How can you do it? It's 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 uh, it, they, it's it's a it's an even number." And the Gemara answers, "You're right. It's taka a problem, but it's leil shimurim. Seder night is leil shimurim. It's leil hamishumar ubam and hamazikim. We're protected on Seder night from any dangers, from any mazikim. Mazikim don't have the ability to affect us. There is no bad ruchais or demons. It's a night of protection." Were it not for that, Taka Chiddush, that we have four kaisas, it should not be even numbers. We should be chaisish for zugais. We should be worried about having a, anything in a, in a double form. So I think that's why the Pasuk here is saying that it's a merchak fula. By Yahweh, la yayim because there's a chiddish here. That by Dalat Kaisas, this is the first time that we have Dalat Kaisas marumas in the Torah, it's okay to have fula. It's the one time you can have things double. Say the night. There's a very interesting story. Later on in the Haggadah, we say over Isais Zehamata. Isais were brought about with the Mata. Now, this Mata would be a real great Jewish treasure. If I could only find this mata. This mata has so much history to it that it's a fascinating story where this mata came from and all the people that possessed this mata and how Meshra Rabbeinu got this mata. There's a lot of medrashim about this. But this mata was one that really accompanied Meshra Rabbeinu throughout his journey as a leader of Kal Yisrael. And the mata was when he first came to Parai, and the Mata also makes an appearance at the end of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim by Kriyas Yamsov, the Mata constantly appears. And there's Chazalim that say that the Mata was made of a, of a special stone called Sanpirim. Sanpirim, whatever stone that is, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's a special stone that this mata was made of. This was the mata that, of course, had the Tzach Chav written on it. A famous mata, a lot of history built into this mata. There's a story that's told, and I don't know if it's a true story or not, but it's brought in Chashavah Svarim. 
So I'll assume that it's true, even though it sounds a little bit, you know, it sounds like it's one that is Tzarech Ian on many levels, but I'm going to say it over because it's, uh, I, I feel it's a, it's a very interesting and hush of a story. There was a stone that was found in Russia. This is going back to the late 1700s, early 1800s. And this, no, late, mid, it must have been late 1700s. The, the, the guy was Nifter in 1797, so it could not be the early 1800s. It was the, it was the late 1700s. And this stone had very strange properties to it. When it was put into a liquid, when it was put into, let's say, a, a container with liquid in it, suddenly the liquid would start to split. Start to split. Whatever, whatever, this, contain, whatever this stone was, was put into contact with in terms of liquids, it would start making it split. And they didn't know what this stone was, and they brought it from Russia to Germany, because Germany was the, uh, you know, that was the center of science and, and, and chemistry. All the big, brilliant scientists lived at the time in Germany, so they sent it to a laboratory in Germany to try to study it and to try to understand its properties. But they were completely perplexed and stunned by this unusual specimen. And it was brought to the attention of Moses Mendelssohn, the founder of the reform movement, that the stone was in Germany. And he said wisely that if there's anyone in the world that could understand what this stone is all about, it's the Gain from Vilna. And on the way back, as you're taking the stone to Russia again, to return it to wherever it came from, it would probably be worth your while to go through Vilna and to pass through the base medrash of the Groth and present it to him and see what he says about this stone. Okay? So they, had, you know, they, they, they needed to find out something about this stone and its properties, so they took his advice and they went to the Gain, and of course the Gain didn't have time for anything like this. The Vilna Gain was sitting in his Dalai Mishal Halacha. He spent Yaimam Balayla learning. There was no shtick by the Gain. The Gain, every second counts. If you want to see a little bit about his obsessiveness with time and with not wasting a split second of time, you look in the Hakdama of the Bir Hagrad Shulchan Aruch, where his sons write a, a famous introduction, and they say, that the Grah, our father, was so meticulous with time, and it goes into the, the Seder Hayyim of the Grah, and how he would make a Cheshbon nefesh at the end of the year, the seconds that he wasted from Tyra, seconds. He was able to make a Cheshbon nefesh in the seconds. That's how amazing time was to him. And the Gain's children said that this obsession with time spread to the people of Vilna. Even though he didn't really have direct contact with the people of Vilna, he was sitting cloistered in his, in his little base medrash, but it basically had a ripple effect through the Talmide Hagra, and the people in Vilna were also very, very meticulous with their time, and they maximized every second for learning and for davening and for mitzvahs. So they brought this stone before the Vilna Gain and they asked him to, uh, to look at it and he didn't have time, he was sitting and learning. Anyway, eventually he was able to take a, a split second break. He looks at it, he studies it for a second and he says, this is the famous Sanpiram. This is that stone that was the Mata of Moshe Rabbeinu. Not the actual Mata, but it was the same stone. That's what he says. Anyway, word got back to Moses Mendelssohn about what the Vilna Gain told them that, about the identity of this strange stone. And, the, and Moses Mendelssohn writes a letter to the Vilna Gain and he says, Ah, oh, now I have the pshat in Kriyas Yamsuf. Because Kriyas Yamsuf wasn't necessarily a miracle. 
Kriyashamsev was just a matter of having this mata that Maish Rabbeinu had made of this stone. He touched the Yamsuf, and the Yamsuf split. And the Vilna Gain writes him back, You are Kairis. He says, How dare you change Pshat in, in, in Apostolic and Chumash? The Torah says specifically by the Mata, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Mitzvah and Maish Rabbeinu, Ve'ata Haremes Matacha. Lift up your Mata. Unitayas Yadchalayam. And lift your hand over the sea. Meaning, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bidafka went against this notion, nobody should ever think for a second that it was the Mata that performed this miracle of Kriyas Yamsuf. Harimis Matacha means remove the Mata. Like Harimu Mitaycha Eida, remove, rid the Mata, get the Mata away from the Yam, and just put your hand over the sea, and then the sea will split. Nobody should ever make a mistake that Kriyas Yamsuf was in any way affected by science, by chemistry, by some rock, by some staff. It was all al Hashem. It was all a nace and a meifes, va'oisais, zuamata, was not the way that the sea itself was split. The sea itself was split with the yad. Had nothing to do with the mata, nothing to do with science. And Moses Mendelssohn was trying to undermine the great miracles, al-hayam. says, you're an apikairis. The Torah specifically goes against what you're saying. This is very important. You say for our Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, for our Haggadah. I always say this over, but there was once, my father, Al-Bashalom, was very makbid about the Seder. Everything had to be perfect. The, the tablecloth was perfect, and the silver was shining, and the, the plates, and the crystal, and the, everyone had their Haggadahs, and my father's Kittel, and everything was like perfect. And he really took it seriously. Everything, every minig was a minig, and every mitzvah was a mitzvah, and every hider was a hider. And he gave over the Messiah in such a way, with telling over stories, and minhagim, and, and, and once we had a, a woman who... For whatever reason, she was invited to our Seder, and she was a uh, she was not um, she was not a Shemer Shabbos, but we had her over, and it was a disaster. That Seder night was a disaster because, first of all, she would she was uh, a chain smoker. So every few minutes she had to excuse herself and go out to the porch and smoke. And, and she'd come in and the whole Seder was reeking of cigarettes. That was one strike against her. And then the second strike against her was that everything that my father was saying in terms of the Nisim Alayam, she wanted to rebut him and give like the National Geographic uh, explanation for every one of the uh, of the Esther Makis and Kriyas Yamsuf, and my father was like livid. My father was like, you know, there was like Dumba Ish for Simrace Ashan was coming out of my father's ears. Like it was like so against everything. He was trying to get over the Messiah with Amuna and Apshuta and, and the Isis and the Maisim and the, and it was, it was difficult. And I know that, you know, people here have told me that they have this every Seder night, not just, I'm, Telling over a story that happens happened Baruch Hashem just once in my all the years of that of, of my life, and people have uh, people that at their seder tables, and maybe it's an old aunt, or maybe it's a cousin, or maybe it's a, a grandparent that's not from, or maybe not Jewish, and they're coming with their own versions, their own, and it's it's hard sometimes to be civil because seder night is a night that. Obviously, we always have to be respectful of everybody. It's not, my father did not, you know, in any way, you know, speak rudely or, or in any way try to, you know, stop her from talking. But it's such an important night, and we'll speak about this over the next few days, how it's the site of Amuna. Seder night is such an important time to fill up our, our, our tanks with Amuna so that we get through the entire year and the rest of our lives with this Amuna. It's very difficult to listen to other versions. It's not something that... We don't want the Moses Mendelssohn version of the, of the Seder. We want to have the Messiah with the Grah, the Messiah of Ishmi Piyish, 
from Moshe Rabbeinu, it's very important on Seder night to understand the Pshuta Shomikra, to understand the story as we understand it, and not to have any other dilutions of it. The final vart that I want to share with you is at the end of the of Magid, right before Shulchan Aruch, we say, Therefore we are obligated to give thanks and to praise and to say before you a new shira, a new shira, a new song before you. There's a great Talmud Chacham in Eretz Yisrael that lived um, before the war and after the war. He was very close to Rav Shach. He's seen a lot of the Svarim that he brings Rabbi Yael Kluft. Recently I came across a picture of him. I never knew what he looked like. There are pictures of him. He's a, a tremendous Talmud Chacham, Rabbi Yael Kluft. I know one Misa with Rav Shach and him that before the war, before the war, Rav Shach and him were talking and learning about a certain sugya. And then, and they were in the middle of something and they were interrupted. And then World War II broke out and they were separated. And they went through the Shiva Madura Gehenim. I think, you know, I think Rebel Kluft went through the Holocaust of Shach, um, was able to uh, escape to Eretz Yisrael. But, um, but they met up in Eretz Yisrael after the Holocaust. This was after Mamish, maybe a decade of Gehenim. And finally they bump into each other, Rabbi Yael Kluft and Rav Shach, and they didn't talk about the Holocaust and, and the concentration camps and what then, Mr. Nefesh and Nisim, and they picked up on the conversation, that, the learning that they were doing before the war, they just picked up like almost like exactly where they left off with their added chidushim and their ha'aras, and that's, that was the relationship of Rav Shach and Rav Yael Kluft. Anyway, Rabbi Yael has a beautiful yisaid about this Shira Chadasha. What is this, the name of Shira Chadasha, a new song? So he says that there's a famous vart that we all have to know from Rav Chaim Brisker. I heard this vart from Rav Shlomo Zaman Arabach. He gave Shira once and he mentioned this vart. It says like this, Rav Chaim. Let's say... Let's say an angel comes to you and says to you that a miracle will happen. A miracle will happen to you, let's say, tomorrow. You're going through an Esara and you mamash need a Yeshua and a Malach comes or somebody comes, a Navi, somebody comes to you and says, tomorrow you will be guaranteed a miracle. Rest assured, a a big nace is going to happen to you. So, are you allowed to say hallow on that miracle because there's a chiv of hallow when a miracle actually does happen? So now, if I have bitachin that a miracle will happen to me, will I be, do I have a license now to say hallow or not? Or do I have to wait for a miracle to actually occur to say hallow? So if Chaim says, well, there's a pasuk in Tehillim that we say every day that proves one way in this Shiloh. The Pasuk says, David Amel says, I, Bechastacha, in your kindness, Batachti, I have Bitachin. And my heart is rejoicing, is overjoyed with your salvation. My heart. But I will sing to Hashem, Kigamal Alay. Gomel, oh, a gomel means when it actually happens. When it happens, that's when I will sing a song to you. Zakhtar Chaim Brisker, that this Pasuk is saying, Hallel is only allowed when the miracle actually occurs. When the miracle occurs and it's fresh to you, then the spontaneous reaction is Hallel, Shira. Until it happens, you don't have the right to sing yet. But once it happens, you have the right, you have the obligation, 
and you have that spontaneous joy of singing. Up until that point, you should be happy, but it has to stay in your heart. But the chi of shira is kigam It's only once the actual nace happens. Then you have what's called a shira. Zakhtar B'ayel Kluft, Seder night is a night that the halal that we say is not the halal that we say, let's say, on Pesach morning, the morning after the starim. Chalamaye, Sukkis, Shvuis, Reshchaydesh, those are a halal of a different sort. Those are halal that's a mikra, it's, it's, a, it's a kriya of halal. It's a din kriya. I have to say halal because as part of davening today, halal. There's a different type of halal though, and that's a halal midin shira. Halal midin shira means I'm not saying halal because it's part of the of the uh, the ritual of the day. It's it's part of the uh, of the format of the of the prayer services. The type of howl of Seder night, and that's why it's such a, an unusual form of howl. We never throughout the year say howl at night. We never divide howl in two parts like we do on Seder night. We never say howl without a bracha except for the howl by the Seder. So what's going on? Why is it that this night is different? Why is this howl different from all other nights and from all other days? The answer is because this is a howl of a different sort. This is not a howl midin kriya that I have to say howl because it's it's part of the it's part of the the, the script, the text of davening. I'm saying howl as a spontaneous reaction of shira to the rabbi Shalom for performing a miracle with me now. This is a special form of, of shira. It's a howl like they sang on kriyas the Gemara tells us, because it's a spontaneous reaction. It's a spontaneous song that we offer the Rabbeinu Shalom from a heart brimming with Akar Satayv over a miracle we just experienced now. That's what Seder Night is supposed to be. Seder Night is, is a personal miracle. Not only saved them, he saved us. And we're supposed to act out and feel this night as if the Yeshua is taking place now. You have to feel and act and display according to the Rambam Maharais. That now is the miracle. The miracle is unfolding now before my very eyes. That's what we started with today. The sipur means you're supposed to animate the Seder and show the children, show ourselves how this is in real time a miracle unfolding. If that's the case, Hashir Lashem Gigamal Olay, this is not just Same, it's not a, a Navi telling us about it. This is a real shira. This is a, a gemilus. This is happening now. We're seeing with our own eyes the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. The Neymar Lefana of Shira Chadasha. This is a shira, a brand new shira, a spontaneous shira. The howl that we say Seder night is without a brach. You know why? Because when do you make a brach? You make a brach on a mitzvah. You have a mitzvah, you have masses, you go to the store, it's all premeditated, you go, it's all planned and scripted, you buy a little of an esther, you make a bracha. Howl is not supposed to be that way on Seder night. Howl is nothing scripted. It's almost as if, wow, this all happened? Halu kalu abde Hashem. You're supposed to sing halal with such joy as if you just beheld the miracle, as if you just experienced the miracle yourself. Rabbi Yalakluft says, that's the pshav in Neymar of Shira Chadasha. There's a chiv of a brand new shira. This is not an old song. This is not a song that was told that we must recite with a bracha and like a regular halal that we say during the day. This is not a, this is a halal that is special. It's a once a year halal that we're supposed to say with an i'imus. We're supposed to sing it 
We're supposed to feel it. It's supposed to be a genuine display of Akaras Hatayv, unscripted, coming from a heart like David Amelech's. Yagel Libi Bishuasecha, but Ashir Lashem Gigamala, and now is the Gemila, now is the payoff, now is the time that it's coming to fruition. And now I have a Chiyav, just like the Jews in Mitzrayim when they left, they said Ashir Chadash, Ashir Chadash, Shibchu Geulim, Lashim Chasvachayam. There was a brand new song that was sung. It was fresh, it was exciting, it was animated, it was spirited by the fact that there was a Gemila to them and they couldn't contain themselves it just it just just sort of rolled off their lips that's how it should be with us as well it's a it's a new song the howl of Sadie night is different I think it's Rav Gifter who says that that's why the howl of Sadie night is split into two parts you have a howl before the Suda you have a halal after the suda. What's going on? It's also unusual. Say the whole halal. When do we ever interrupt the halal? Imagine if the, if the shliach tzibur on, uh, on Pesach morning, in the middle of halal, all of a sudden he would pull out a matzah and start eating matzah in the middle of halal. Everyone starts, you know, screaming at him. Rightfully so. What, what's, what are you doing? You're, you're eating in the middle of halal? But say their night. Everybody's fine with it. Rebiktus says a beautiful vart. He says that the meal of the Seder, Shulchan Aruch, is also a form of halal. If the meal of Seder night is done right, and we know the Svarim right, how it's so important, Seder night by the meal, to not speak Lashon Hara, people think, okay, now it's a break, you know, it's, uh, now we did our religious part of the meal, now we could eat, everybody's like, you know, everyone is, in general is, is nervous about eating, eating anyone's you know, looking at their watches and they want to move along. They want to eat. Fine. But the eating of Seder night is supposed to be also a, a form of hollow. It's not an interrupted hollow. It's a continuous hollow. It's just a, a hollow which takes on different textures. There's a hollow of singing, there's a shira chadasha, and then I'm going to show up my gratitude by the way I eat. With the matzis, with the maror, with the kairach, with the with the, with the meal, with the afikaiman, that itself is also a chalak of my Haggadah, it's a chalak of my halal. You could show HaKadosh gratitude even by eating, even by doing what seems to be a physical act, that also is elevated by a Jew to being the highest form of shira. Mitzvah Hashem, we should all be zeicheh this year to be neicham and azvachem and apsachem, we should be zeicha to eat from the carbon pesach and Yushalayim habenuya. We should all be zeicha to a shira chadasha. Whether we're here or whether we're in Yushalayim, we should be zeicha to having a a sipur with our seder. We should shine, and we should bring a relevance, a shira chadasha, a newness, a freshness, a genuineness to our halal both the howl that we utter with our mouths and the howl of our daily haloch yelech, of our eating, of our drinking, of our divay rishos, everything should be speak malchus, and we should be true b'nei chayrin in every sense of the word. Have a wonderful yantif and a wonderful shabbat.